it really is evident to us that the way uh, for communities uh, to get served uh, when they're not served is to do it themselves. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minnesota, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, rather. And I'm excited to be talking about um, some of the the coolest stuff that's just going on in this country, frankly, uh, around broadband, uh, which is in Vermont. And so we're going to be speaking with Will Anderson, who is the program coordinator for the Vermont uh, Communications Union District Association, which everyone calls Vacuda. Welcome, Will. Thank you for having me, Christopher. I'm a longtime reader of uh, Muni Networks and uh, really happy to be talking about uh, what we're doing here in the great uh, Green Mountain state of Vermont. Excellent. And we'll be we'll be talking about how cool it is that you have an association, um, as well as talking about what's going on with a number of those uh, members of it. Uh, but we do have one additional guest. We have Evan Carlson, the board chair of NEK Broadband, uh, which is uh, serving the Northeast Kingdom area of Vermont. Uh, welcome, Evan. Thank you, Chris. Uh, also a, a longtime listener of the podcast, so very excited to be here and share the stories about what's happening here in Vermont and uh, excited to be on the show. I think you might mean there in Vermont because unless you plan on going to Hawaii, you can't get much further away from it right now. (laughs) That is true. I was trying to uh, avoid saying that I've jumped from one broadband desert to another out here in uh, uh, Nevada City, California. Yeah, I guess you can get a lot further away in California. I didn't realize you were on the, the eastern half of California, but um, you've got some uh, background noise occasionally. And in case your connection is uh, struggling, we can blame it on California and not Vermont. Um, <laughs> so um, so let me start by uh, you guys um, coordinated a really nice bit of, uh, of um, material for us today by um, I'm entirely for my benefit um, having a great testimonial. And so before we talk too much about what's going on, although I think longtime listeners have a sense, um, uh, let's just talk about the fact that, that NEK Broadband is connecting people. And, uh, and today you had a pretty cool connection, it sounded like. So Evan, if you want to tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we are certainly one of the most uh, rural and unconnected regions of Vermont. And uh, today we got a great testimonial from a customer who had a daughter trying to work from home and commuting uh, to um, local coffee shops to be able to get her college work done. And uh, for the first time ever, they have a uh, internet connection there in their house delivering 200 megabits per second symmetrical service uh, from the, the fiber line that we brought to their home just yesterday. And so this is, I think, all the more remarkable because I did not realize that NEK Broadband had gotten this far along. So, um, you know, you are out there connecting people. People are getting connected right now. They're going from having nothing to having a connection that's better than what I can get in St. Paul, Minnesota. That's it. And the, the goal is to do that across all 55 communities in our districts. So we're very excited to be on this venture. Um, you know, we're just connecting the first addresses now, but uh, we expect over the next five to seven years that we will have universal service to such a rural and uh, uh, honestly kind of economically deprived area. And this is really at the heart of the challenges that we're trying to solve. 
Great. And so we'll talk more about uh, about the Northeast Kingdom and NEK Broadband um, as uh, some specific examples, I'm guessing, of what's going on. But if we take a step back, Will, um, you know, I've done multiple interviews with EC Fiber, um, the, the uh, you know community of towns that work together. And it seems like they were instrumental in creating this thing called the Communications Union District. So tell us more about what, what that is. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, so at this point, uh, now that NEK has started up uh, connecting customers, there's two CUDs out of nine, uh, CUD being Communications Union District, uh, out of nine across the state uh, that have customers. Uh, The first to go online uh, was EC Fiber. The start of their operation happened all the way back uh, in the 1990s, you know, spinning out of Dartmouth College, this uh, organization called ValleyNet, which was dedicated to uh, being a nonprofit uh, provider of service in, a, in an area that was really neglected uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the national providers. Uh, and it really gradually snowballed. Over in Vermont, a group of towns in the Upper Valley signed an interlocal agreement that they would work together uh, to get an internet network built out to everyone within its territory. And, uh, you know, given some more time, and especially given the pandemic, uh, the coronavirus pandemic, other groups of towns across the state of Vermont had the exact same idea. They exerted a lot of pressure. They got together, volunteers, boards, hired consultants, uh, talked to their legislators. And uh, going into 2020, 2021, uh, the state of Vermont designated the CUDs as its communications future. And we now have tremendous support uh, from state agency, Vermont Community Broadband Board, and uh, everyone is uh, looking to emulate EC Fiber and uh, be able to to reach everyone uh, within their member towns. It's a really a remarkable movement, and uh, they certainly uh, set the uh, standard. You know, you make it sound like a natural progression, and yet uh, it's one of those things that uh, you know, as someone who um, was around when uh, back when Tim Nolte was still at Burlington Telecom, uh, I, I have a sense that the state of Vermont was pretty skeptical about municipal broadband. Uh, EC Fiber, I felt like had to fight upstream for a number of years, and then and then the state, I think, kind of gave them a chance, and they really liked what EC Fiber did with that opportunity, and they've become more positive. Um, but I'm curious. Can can you, can you give me a sense of, I mean, it's so remarkable for a state to just basically say, well, we're going to have our cities implement our broadband strategy. It's what I'd like to see, but it's just surprising and awesome. So how do we get there? You're certainly right that, you know, there was a skepticism and challenges along the way. Burlington Telecom, while I don't know every twist and turn of the story, I don't think it can be called a success overall, although it is still thriving and connecting everyone in Burlington. I think there were some pretty significant, uh, you know, financial issues along the way. Yes. And just to break in for a second, like that's certainly uh, we've covered that in depth. And uh, if people want to get into it, I don't know that anyone really who's talking knows the full story. I looked at it very in depth that it was was happening. And yes, there were many challenges along the way. Um, And I think, you know, the state was already skeptical and then became more skeptical and in part as a reaction to that. Yeah, but but that really that really changed with EC Fiber. EC Fiber was not only able to connect their customers, uh, you know, on a path to universal service throughout their territory. A, they were able to do it with basically no grant funding. They had to go to the bond market and take on significant debt, which is still a challenge for them. Uh, But they were able to achieve this uh, basically on their own. And second, B, they were able to do that in a very rural area, an area that had been uh, too, too unprofitable and difficult to serve by other companies. I think when the state saw that this was working, 
that really was a, was an incentive for them uh, to put policy into place to get the other CUDs working and funded. I'll, I'll just jump in quick, quick and just quick, quickly say that I think, you know, one of the other major things that gave the state confidence to be able to do this um, and really put all their eggs into the CUD basket was, you know, when they structured the CUD legislation, they really put those protections in place to ensure that the actual municipalities weren't on the hook for any of the debt that was uh, potentially defaulted on by the districts. And they put that in there really to ensure that there was never another Burlington telecom situation that happened. Um, and then when you pair that with the success that UC Fiber has seen, there are all the things in place to really make this successful and for the legislators and state to feel confident in the, the direction that they're going with the districts. Yes, the um, I think of EC Fiber with a with a little bit of humor in that um, they were trying to build in the more rural areas of Central Vermont, which is to say they were avoiding the high density areas <laughs> like like where you are, Will and, and Montpelier, um, which in many parts of the country would still be considered uh, fairly low density and rural. Right. We're talking like sub sub six uh, addresses per mile, which is like the no no territory for any wireline provider. But the CUDs are, you know, going all in on those. Yeah, so I think of EC Fiber as like the John Wick of these uh, broadband networks. Like just sheer determination to succeed uh, pushed it through very difficult times. Um, so, but well, I, I think I, I sort of we jumped in and I derailed you a little bit. But um, um, so what, what gives the state so much confidence that this is the right approach overall? They, they've studied the problem. They've hired a, a number of consultants and uh, you know researchers to look at uh, what the best strategy would be. But I think that it's more of the overwhelming support and buy-in that they've seen. If you look at uh, how much of Vermont's towns are part of a CUD, it's a vast majority, uh, especially when it comes to underserved uh, miles and uh, you know uh, overall rural areas. Really, uh, the main places that aren't part of a CUD are the Burlington area and then uh, a, a smaller area in southern Vermont that has a, a solid local fiber network. When the state legislators uh, saw how great a buy-in there was amongst towns that wanted to join one of these municipalities. Uh, I think they saw that uh, that it was inevitable, and just uh, just the fact that uh, this problem had been going unsolved for so long, there there was uh, so much talk of the problem and uh, no sign of solution, except for uh, EC Fiber and the communications union districts. It really is evident to us that uh, the way uh, for communities to uh, to get served uh, when they're not served is to do it themselves. It's pretty much, that's the Vermont way. I mean, uh, communities here have to be, uh, have to be united uh, to stay afloat. Yeah, in a second, I want to talk about the uh, the model specifically about how the, the cities then own the network or the towns own the network, and then they have a provider that will often partner with that has some experience in it. Um, but I did want to note what you were describing that, Will. I, I was speaking with a consultant uh, in this space about the CUD approach, and uh, this person was laughing because they were like, well, you know, in, in Vermont, they did put a heck of a lot of money into the fixed wireless in the, in the broadband uh, stimulus uh, of more than 10 years ago now. And I was just laughing because of this struck me as just what a colossally bad idea that was, because it's like the, the, the ultimate marriage of terrain that's not good for wireless and uh, hostility to towers. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, people are not. That, that's correct. To, they don't want to ruin their view sheds with a with a big old transmitter up there. Yeah, but um, it wasn't a mistake that stopped the Department of Public Service from continuing to try to solve this problem. I mean, they worked really tirelessly 
not just in favor of the CUDs, but just to find any solution and put us in a better place to be able to solve this problem. If you look at the work they've done with the data here in Vermont, it, it has to, I, I mean, maybe you know better, Christopher, but it has to be some of the best uh, broadband data that's been produced across the country. I mean, the maps that we have and the work that they've done have have really set us up for success. Yeah, I would love to see other states duplicate the drive testing, uh, all that stuff that was done. Uh, it showed a, a real dedication uh, that we goes above and beyond what we see elsewhere. Um, so, Evan, let me ask you then. Um, so were you involved at the very beginning of NEK broadband? And, and uh, you know, what what made people realize that this was a good model for your area? Our journey began kind of in the 2017 time period with uh, an organization that I think uh, ILSR would be probably very appreciative of called the Council on Rural Development or Vermont Council on Rural Development. They conduct a uh, community visit process that is a multi-month design thinking exercise to really allow communities to help define what their actual vision for the future is and then establish groups to actually go through the process of trying to institute some of these changes. Broadband was very high on the list and just connectivity in general. Um, and there was an economic development committee that was established to help kind of tackle some of this work. I was leading that group. And one of the first things that we did was actually work with Vantage Point Solutions to do an initial analysis um, to determine, you know, what is the best option for getting connectivity just in the Linden and connecting areas. Um, ultimately, they pointed in the direction of a communication union district. And at that point, it was just EC Fiber and CV Fiber had just formed shortly before we had had that study completed. And so that really set the path. Uh, probably after a year or so, that economic development committee transformed really into a broadband focus group and started pulling in communities surrounding Linden. And uh, we had some really amazing partners in uh, our regional uh, economic development group called NVDA and NEK Collaborative. And those groups really pulled together all the other key players at the state level and also regionally to help think through how to actually address this. We probably spent two years doing very tactical grassroots work to define the direction uh, and really get communities on board. I think uh, there was the group of four of us that really pushed in the early year. And we did, I think, more than 30 different select board visits, uh, some of them multiple times to be able to get them to bring the question of whether they wanted to have the, the, their town be a part of the CUD to their town meeting day. Um, and that actually, uh, that grassroots work really allowed us to do the kind of uh, initial formation. And then March 2020, we had town meeting day and 27 towns uh, voted to join the district. And that was our initial forming size. I mean, when you look at EC Fiber, they started with two towns. Um, and I think CV Fiber was only a handful of towns as well. So to come out of the gates with 27 towns buying in in one of the most rural and also, um, you know, the fiscally conservative areas, they were very nervous, every single community, about the idea of potentially putting their, their community members at risk with the, the district. That was a huge win for us. And since then, we've had uh, you know, a lot of really committed board members to kind of push things forward to the point where we are now connecting addresses. 
And for people who aren't as familiar with Vermont, I think it's useful to to note two things. One is uh, the the town meetings are very serious, um, as in a lot of parts of New England where uh, people go and they make important decisions. They discuss it over the course of uh, the day, and I'm sure they've discussed it beforehand too. Um, the other piece of it is that towns in um, in Vermont are like the whole area. Like no part of Vermont is not in a town, more or less, is my understanding. Because people might be thinking, what about the areas between towns? But these the towns are typically all um, like what we would think of elsewhere as a like county, not counties, but like you know they're um, they include rural and um, and more dense areas within them. Maybe a way to clarify that is that um, uh, the counties in Vermont uh, don't really have any uh, any government power. All local government is conducted by the town, and that will generally contain uh, the center or the village as well as a uh, you know variety of rural areas. But uh, Christopher, I will add that uh, Vermont also has a number of cities uh, which uh, have uh, varied uh, town meeting uh, statuses. Um, most of them have a mayor and a city council, and uh, most of them are part of CUDs. Right. And so um, I think the the key part I wanted to get was that when we talk about towns, there's no one being left behind. And like um, in, uh, in in if I remember correctly, in the northeastern eastern kingdom, then there is um, uh, it's not like there's people in unincorporated areas. Right. We actually have uh, a couple of towns that we include in our 55 town district that are a part of the, what they call the UTGs. And that's the unincorporated towns and gores. And that is a very rural area that has, uh, you know, in some of those instances one on-grid address and the rest are all camps that are you know, very <laughs> seasonal or you get a couple of people trudging back there in snowshoes in the middle of the winter but it's, it's pretty rare well and that's that's an interesting point because in new england especially um you want to make sure those camps have connectivity i'm guessing our mission is uh, for the time being dedicated to on-grid addresses exclusively uh there are quite a few of off-grid addresses in vermont especially in the northeast kingdom I do think uh, a couple of uh, couple of towns in the Northeast Kingdom actually number zero uh, for on-grid addresses. Uh, Evan maybe can confirm that or not. I think the numbers uh, tend, tend uh, to shift from year to year. I can, I can confirm for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess the point I'm uh, one of the things I think is interesting is that like you need that local knowledge to know like all right like these fifty off-grid addresses um, you know we're not going to get to but like there's a few here that we really do need to connect to because they're such an important part of the community. Um, or I could be wrong again. I mean I made a number of errors already in this no, show. <laughs> I, I think that that's actually a super interesting point, Chris, because we're in the process of really getting into the detailed design of our network and we've actually had to have our uh, board members you know this is the power of having community-led boards and having a representative in each town when we have these hard to reach areas we actually have our board members go out and you know check to see if the the driveway is plowed all the way up to that address and if it's not plowed chances are not an address that anyone's living at even though the, the state data you know as good as it is can't get 100% right all the time. And so we can actually have people on the ground that are able to do some of that validation. And we have such committed board members that they're willing to go out there and do that legwork on their own. Yeah, I, I just want to add quickly that um, maybe a little bit to your last point, Christopher, it's also very easy, uh, I think, relatively speaking, for towns to join a CUD. Uh, per the legislation that governs what a CUD is, uh, basically at town meeting day, they just have to approve a vote of a motion that says, uh, we uh, seek membership uh, in this CUD, and then uh, there's yet to be a CUD refuse uh, refuse membership for a town. And in fact, I don't I don't even think they ha- they're allowed to refuse a town uh, that seeks to join that's part of their territory. So for a lot of these smaller towns, uh, 
Evan, I'm sure has some experience with this with NEK specifically. It's pretty pretty quick and easy process to become part of uh, a municipality that uh, guarantees them universal service. So when you form the CUD, one of the next things that seems to be important is finding a service provider or perhaps multiple ones you'd negotiate with uh, that would provide service across this uh, publicly owned uh, fiber optic or hybrid network. So how does that work? Evan, uh, Evan, you know, has firsthand experience with this, but I'll quickly note some of the history to this. Um, I alluded uh, before to EC Fiber's connection with a group called ValleyNet. ValleyNet is a design, build, operate partner uh, for EC Fiber and for uh, a smaller network in the state of New Hampshire called Lime Fiber. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization uh, basically dedicated to the, the engineering and construction of, uh, of community networks, uh, of course, with support uh, from, from other contractors and, and engineers. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, that's the main partner for, for EC Fiber. The other uh, CUDs uh, around the state uh, you know, one of their major challenges has been to find partners that can uh, meet these parameters. When I was with the USDA, I actually submitted a proposal uh, to the state uh, to try to expand ValleyNet because it's such a perfect model to work with the district when you have this nonprofit partner that's so dedicated. That ultimately wasn't successful, but the partnerships that are underway right now are really innovative and are really getting the job done. Waitsfield Champlain Valley Telecom, a bit of a mouthful, but it's a local provider based in central Vermont. It's now working with uh, several CUDs, including with NEK Broadband, which Evan is the chair of. They're, re- they're really doing some great work across the state of Vermont uh, as CUD partners. You know, one of the really amazing things about the CUD model is that it actually gives the CUD and its board the opportunity to really define what is best for its own community. You know, in some instances, it might be that nonprofit partner, or in some instances, it might be some uh, of the larger regional telecom providers like consolidated and being able to actually have them come in and build and operate end to end the entire experience. In our case, you know, we are working uh, with a Vermont based uh, homegrown network that has been really successful and they know the retail operations, they know the network operations and they've constructed for many years in the kind of uh, uh, environments that we're, we're building in. And I think that that is their long track, track record of being successful is kind of a testament to being able to be resilient in this type of climate. Um, and so that's super important for us. I also think, you know, for us long term, at NEK Broadband, we really want to see uh, job creation. And so we are trying to work with our partners to be able to not just uh, operate and uh, develop these retail services, but kind of train us along the way. So eventually we can be in a position to take over things like the network operations and have people on the ground in the Northeast Kingdom taking in those jobs and actually having careers being built out of them. When we have such a unique opportunity, have this, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars coming into the state. I feel super strongly that we should be working to keep the, as many of those dollars circulating in our local economy as possible. And if that means establishing network operation centers in the main main centers of the Northeast Kingdom, then we're going to do that. When the legislation was passed to create the CUDs, 
Um, I, to me, it looked like the restriction that the individual cities couldn't take on debt would be a, potentially a problem in the sense that um, uh, CUDs don't have a track record operating this infrastructure. Um, now, if you're able to work with a partner that has a strong track record, then you can go and try to find debt for it. Um, you know, investors that, that believe in it. Uh, I think it would be hard for uh, a newly formed CUD to, to work with Mitchell Broadband, you know, the, if we hadn't done anything before, but we just said, oh, but we're pretty sure we know what we're doing. Um, and it feels to me like there's this perfect storm in which those hundreds of millions of federal dollars really are going to help because that will allow a lot of the CUDs to get those track records, often with proven partners, and uh, move ahead. So it just it seems like it's sort of like one of these moments where this is the right time for this model. You're exactly right, Christopher. I mean, despite the massive influx of federal funding, uh, even our most conservative estimates don't put the current supply at, uh, at at being an amount enough to complete uh, universal service across the state of Vermont. We do expect that all CUDs will have to go to the bond market in one way or another. Uh, however, the amount of money that's coming in through grants right now uh, will be really critical to A, setting them up in a perfect position uh, to go to that market, like you're alluding to, and also just to provide a generally more affordable service. Our mantra, especially my mantra, as uh, everyone here in Vermont knows, is that uh, affordability comes from availability. The lower the cost of, that we're able to provide the network uh, to consumers, the lower the rates that they're going to have to pay. Uh, so these grants are, are really critical to that philosophy and uh, will, will help us uh, a lot when it comes to the bond market uh, in, the, in the very near future. And I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely curious what, um, you know, how you... Uh, respond to that as someone who uh, will be out there trying to figure out how to raise money from the bond market in sufficient quantities and low enough interest rates that you can connect some of the hardest to reach areas of one of the harder to reach states. Yeah. I mean, our our problem didn't go away with the ARPA funding, but it certainly got a little easier. For instance, because we now have addresses that are connected, we actually just filed our application to be able to take advantage of the FCC affordability um, program, which we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And that in our area where we are so economically deprived, affordability, aside from connectivity, is our number one priority. For us, it's still going to be a patchwork of different funding sources. I mean, we're looking at uh, probably anywhere between uh, 40 and 60% of our network being covered through through grants. And then we're looking at um, some uh, state funding available through the Vermont Economic Development Association that will be able to help be matched for things like potentially reconnect loans that we're exploring that recently became available uh, to our district and that hadn't been previously. Um, and definitely looking at bond funding. And that's going to be something that we'll probably dig into, uh, I would say, in 2023. So all of those things are absolutely core to the network. And ultimately, as, as uh, Will had mentioned, you know, the more uh, free grant money that we get, the cheaper our service gets to the end consumer. And that's what it is such you know, a driver for us to get that grant dollar or get those grant dollars in the door as soon as possible. Is it is it possible that Evan, um, you're actually building too fast in that you are taking areas that would be eligible for the NTIA funding in another year or two through the uh, infrastructure bill and uh, making them ineligible because you'll have this great network there? It's possible, but I think uh, the consumers on the ground would say that we still can't build fast enough. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, interesting uh, question, Christopher, for sure. 
the the kind of uh, philosophy that we've been moving under both uh, you know state agencies working with us and you know leaders of the CUDs is that the time for hesitation is over. We we see uh, we see uh, other states uh, you know also getting this amount of broadband funding and and see ourselves in a really great position to advance uh, to use the partners that we've made and the vo- the volunteers uh, that we have in place uh, to proceed. And uh, we do explore all available funding opportunities. Uh, I'm really hoping that uh, NEK uh, will be able to leverage Reconnect this year and that uh, many more CUDs will be able to do so next year. Uh, As for the NTIA, uh, we've received grants from the NTIA across the state. We have other CUDs that are in contention for large grants from the NTIA right now, and I intend to help the CUDs uh, pursue those grants further in the future. Uh, But you may be right. Uh, In some cases, uh, we may uh, have networks in place uh, where where we would have been able to win a lot more money, but... Uh, the time for hesitation uh, in Vermont has long passed. Yeah, I think that just to add to that point, Chris, um, you know, for us, we see a really big opportunity of kind of uh, helping grease the wheels for the other CUDs in the state and being able to show that these new CUDs actually can get their feet under them and build a network successfully, get people connected and have a good business model to support uh, the business and operations in the long term. And the sooner we do that, the sooner it's going to be easier for the rest of the state to get universal service too. Excellent. So as we're starting to run out of time, uh, let me ask, uh, what are some other things that are that are happening or points around CUDs that I haven't asked about that we should make sure that we discuss? Each CUD is pretty unique. Each CUD being located in a different geographic area, uh, I get to work with all of them. And I just I find it fascinating how, how each of them take a very different approach. Yes, they're all following the model of EC Fiber, as we mentioned. Uh, but they each have a different strategy to get there in terms of the partners they're working with, in terms of the agreements they make with those partners, even in terms of how they're going to design and the order in which, you know, the order of operations in which they're going to build their network. So I think that's really interesting. And I think it's also a strong strategy that we haven't put all of our eggs in one basket. You know, we're going to, we're really going to see uh, how, which, which CUDs are, are able to, you know, deploy the fastest and, and most effectively. And, uh, I, I really like my role of working for the association because I get to serve as a conduit of information between the CUDs. We're sharing, uh, we're sharing, I'm sharing best practices uh, amongst all the districts all the time uh, and coordinating on, on ways to share resources and uh, get the job done most effectively. And I think that's uh, a, a really good strategy for any state uh, that uh, communities, when they're building broadband, uh, should be in solidarity with each other. The reason a communications union district works is because a lot of towns have banded together to use their resources together. I think that philosophy is really the key to success for community broadband and that uh, we're applying it on a statewide level as well. Evan and I were discussing this afternoon, uh, the concept of digital economy, and he has alluded a little bit to the desire to keep, uh, you know, keep digital jobs in the NEK. Really terrific idea. You know, these kind of things uh, have come out of the Vermont Council on Rural Development as well. I've been you know, so occupied helping the CUDs construct their networks that that's kind of been on the back burner. Uh, but in the future, I really uh, would like the CUDs uh, to embrace this digital economy and uh, embrace uh, finding ways to bring wealth in their communities and utilize these networks to keep, uh, keep the economy flowing in their, in their territory, in their local area. So that's something I think is on the horizon that NEK has really embraced already. Yeah. I mean, I think that just kind of adding on to that, the... Um, Aside from the digital economy aspects of the of the workforce development we want to do, we really want to see 
people helping get the actual network built. We have a shortage of people that are out there hanging fiber and being able to do splicing at the home and being able to help run the network operation centers. So we actually are already working with the state to establish some workforce development programs to specifically address that because we know it's not just NEK, but it's going to be every other CUD in the state that is going to be bumping up against the same workforce development challenges. And I believe that's going to be the case across the country with uh, new infrastructure funding flowing and trying to address this uh, uh, broadband connectivity issue. Just throw some more details in on that that really exciting program. Through the Vermont Technical College, uh, we've got uh, internship or apprenticeship uh, program going uh, for fiber technicians. Really hoping that program uh, continues to grow, uh, expand to more colleges. Uh, but uh, considering the depth of the worker shortage, we're also pursuing a number of other uh, sometimes novel strategies as well. I, I like to paint a really optimistic picture about uh, you know where the CUDs are at, and I think that's that's justified. We are really moving forward, you know, with this five-year target uh, for getting as many under, unserved, underserved premises connected as possible. Uh, but that's not to say there aren't really significant challenges in the way uh, between the supply chain, labor issues, and of course capital, which we've uh, which we've dwelt upon at some length. There's a lot of challenges ahead, and it's uh, it's not going to be easy by any means. Well, you certainly are serving as an inspiration. Uh, we we talked about this. We don't have time to dig into it, but um, I mean, we planned on having it as a topic potentially. But New Hampshire and Maine have both enacted uh, legislation to create uh, similar structures. Um, New York has had legislation advanced, but uh, uh, I don't think made it into law. Uh, so obviously, others are looking at what you're doing and, and finding it successful. Yeah, I don't. I don't have uh, too much to say about that. I definitely like the folks uh, from those states uh, to speak for themselves on you know, what, if any, inspiration they've taken from us and their strategy. Uh, but I do know that uh, New Hampshire, you know, has a has a law that uh, pretty much directly, uh, you know, copy paste uh, from Vermont uh, and that they have some really exciting uh, work going on, uh, mainly in the northern uh, northern part of the state there. We're uh, we're really happy to to share our successes and our, our best practices with the rest of the country. Terrific. Thank you both for taking time today, uh, late on a Friday, to, to cover this. Uh, uh, very much appreciate what you're doing and, uh, and just really rooting for you. Doing a great job out there. Likewise. We appreciate uh, your coverage of Community Broadband. Uh, we'll continue to uh, stay tuned. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. Look forward to hearing the success of our rural broadband networks. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.